the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. The title of this particular video series is called Creating the Quran, and, and this may come as a surprise to some people as to what do we mean by the phrase creating the Quran. Now, that's our position, to be honest, that the Quran is a product of man, and that's why I don't believe that it's an inspired book. But regardless of that, this particular video series is inspired, actually, by a brand new book that has been published recently. And it is by an author by the name Stephen uh, Shoemaker. And this is the uh, book right here. And as you can see, the title of his book is Creating the Quran. And we want to honor really that title because we are going to address the contents for the most part of this book, uh, quotations from this book, uh, positions from this book, and so on and so forth. And as I stated, with me here in studio to go through this book and this particular series is our dear brother, Dr. Jay Smith. Dr. Jay, as always, brother, thank you so much for joining me, and thank you for this fabulous idea. Well, it kind of plopped into our laps. That's one reason why we're doing this. We This is, just came out in August of 2022, so it's hot off the press. I have just received my copy uh, a few uh, one or two weeks ago. So what we're going to be introducing in these episodes comes from me having read through this, pulling into other material that I've come from outside to support what he's saying. But this is why... Shoemaker has done us a great favor. We've always said, haven't we, that much of what we're doing in this historical critique is putting together white papers. These are what-if scenarios. This is what is coming from different sources, from different people, from different places. But we really need to have some type of academic background. We need to have someone from academia who is actually well-known, uh, somebody who is well uh, written somebody who is a, a part of the academic establishment who is actually saying the same thing we're saying. Well, Shoemaker is just that person. And that's why I really want to encourage people, get this book. You've got to buy this book. It's not only does it support what we're saying, but it's answering the question that Al-Fadi just asked. And that is, how was the book, the Quran itself? Here's the Quran. It's a book. This is not a mem People do memorize it, but that is a book. It's been written down on paper. That means there's ink and paper put together. How did this get put together? Where did this come from? Now, Muslims will say it was memorized. That's true. We don't care about the memorization because you can't really uh, confront it. You can't really critique it. You can't really understand where the memorization came from 
uh, obviously, because we're not there at that time. What you can ask, though, is where did this book come from? Because this is written down. And that's what he's doing in this. What he's doing, whether you are Muslim or whether you are a non-Muslim, you want to know how that book came into being, mm-hmm. creating true. that book. And also, I mean, Jay, to be honest, and, and I, I, I agree with you about, uh, you know, you can say I memorized the book and, and certainly um, it's, it's subjective to what does that mean to you that you memorize it. But we can always, I mean, at some point we'll probably address in this in our series that we can come back and look at the evidence that even the memorization failed in making perfect preservation. That's the phrase that I wanted to mention. But anyway, uh, where do we go from here? Uh, at least, can you tell us a little bit more about, th- I mean, I'm, I've been reading, I'm reading it myself. Uh, Jay is reading it, but I, I want to honor my brother's work here. So give us a little background about the book, Jay. Okay, well, to be fair, let's just look at the, <laughs> let's look at the cover. Already, Shoemaker is exposing his bias on the cover itself. I love what Shoemaker has done. Almost everything that he has written supports academically. He sources one thing about Shoemaker. He gives quote after quote after quote from all the scholars. So he's well read. He's pulling in all the major scholars. He's picking, bringing in the scholars from the Inada school. He's bringing in the revisionists. He's bringing in the scholars who are against the revisionists. So he's taking both sides and he's answering one simple question. And that is, how in the world did the Quran get created? Where did it actually come from? On the cover of the of the book, you'll see is a picture of Muhammad. That's Muhammad. It's a very famous picture. You know it's Muhammad because it has a a fire around him and his face has a veil over top of it. He cannot be pictured. This is a famous piece of art. So already we're getting an inkling that Shoemaker believes it comes from this guy right here. Right. And I don't want to, of course, I want to play the devil's advocate and I'm going to be pushing back. And I would say from his perspective, he did at least tell us that he believed the Quran is a product of humans, or at least he's going to address it from a humanistic historical critique standpoint. So obviously it seemed like he is uh, in that school that Muhammad did exist and he is the author of the Quran. Oh, he says that all the way through all the time. That is the only bone I have to pick with Shoemaker, because we're going to show how hopeless a stance that is. Nonetheless, nonetheless, what is it that Shoemaker really wants to do? Well, Shoemaker wants to show that this book had to have been created at some point. But why don't we ask what the traditions tell us to begin with? Let's right. ask that. So right. he's going to do that. He's going to go through the traditions. These are what we call the standard Islamic narratives. Exactly. We've talked about it. We've given that name to it because that comes from what Yasser Qadi back in 2020. He was one that coined that phrase when he talked about the standard Islamic narrative or the standard narrative has holes in it. We've grabbed it. We've used it. So anytime you hear us using that standard Islamic narrative, we're talking about the Islamic traditions. And that includes the Siddha. That includes the tafsir, that includes the tahrik, that includes the hadith, the four genre of Islamic tradition. So he's going to actually pull out what they say, but he's going to pull out what they have been saying for, well, this is 9th, 10th, 11th, so this is 1,200 years, but no one's bothered to look and see what they're telling us. And when you look and see what they're telling us, actually it has nothing to do with that man. That's what I'm going to show, and that's what he is saying. 
Ironically, so who is it that he's saying that these traditions are pointing to? I'm going to hold off on that. I'm not going to give you the answer yet. Right. That's going to come up in future episodes. But also, uh, I mean, I want to give Shoemaker a, a credit for writing a book like this, going against the mainstream tide that is always, always in support, in general, I should say, in general, the mainstream tide of the academic field in support of the Islamic tradition. And in fact, he mentions that at the beginning, that it seemed like if you go against that, it's always going to be problematic for you. And he did mention a couple of names of people who were instrumental in basically influencing the direction of the field of academia. In fact, he talks about the founder of uh, McGill uh, University in Canada and how he himself became also a head of a department in Harvard. And therefore... Hold on a minute, you're now jumping the gun. I know, but well, we need to give people some background. And the the fact that many of these people are becoming influential in the field. All I want to say is I give him credit to at least even saying that Muhammad is the author. Of the Quran, so what is he which is to against do? the Islamic tradition anyway. What does he really want to do? Let's just quote what he says. This is what he says. I have critically analyzed the process by which the Quran emerged from the scriptural surfeit of late antiquity, both canonical and non-canonical, to become the new canonical scripture of a new religion. That's exactly what this book is about. Really, that's an overview of what he has done. He is. This is a historical critical study exactly. of the Quran. It says it right on the cover. A exactly. historical critical study. You look at the back. What does it say on the back? Creating the Quran, that's the name of this book, presents the first systematic historical critical study of the Quran's origins, drawing on methods and perspectives commonly used to study other scripture traditions. What is he talking about? He's talking about the Bible. Basically, uh, you have to go back to the Bible. The Bible is the one that gave us the standard uh, foundation of how you do a historical critical study. It didn't invent it. But it matured source criticism, form criticism. It matured critical analysis, textual criticism, all these higher and lower criticism that we now use for lots of other store, uh, books. He is now going to apply to the Quran, taking it from the biblical studies and bringing it into Islamic in its Islamic milieu. And I think maybe you're going to address this later. But uh, if, if my understanding is correct, because I'm, I'm not through the book in general, I just started at the beginning, it seemed like he's implying that the Quran could be classified as an apocryphal uh, work that borrowed from the scripture, which is the Bible, and then uh, reinvented itself. Uh, You're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. I don't want to jump the gun. I want to hold people's, wet their appetite, because you will see what he finally, his final conclusion. And it's the conclusion I agree with. I just don't agree with one part of it. Other than that, everything that he puts, I just sat there and salivated because there's so many good quotes. There's so much research. There's so much good Academic research, not just any kind of that he puts into this book. That's why I want everybody to buy this book. Absolutely, I mean, this book is an amazing, amazing book, and uh, I think we—I personally been waiting for something like this for a long time, and I uh, give Shoemaker credit for his courage to come out and write on something like this, even though he's taken a very academic approach, he's very respectful. So I don't want to make it sound like somehow he is making any negative attacks, but you can read between the lines. I mean, uh, he is very open about the fact that he is challenging some of these 
uh, traditional views, but at the same time, he's presenting his findings by quotations. And that's the beauty about this book. There is tons of quotations, as Jay mentioned. And uh, by the way, this series is going to be intentionally very short episodes because we want to watch your appetite. We want you to uh, follow along with us one point at a time. So today, we gave you just an overview about the book. Next time, we are going to talk about uh, additional issue related to that introductory part of this book. Anything else you want to add to this yeah. before In we wrap it up? In the episode, we're going to go right in and say, where is the problem? Why did he have to write this book? Exactly. Everybody, thank you again for joining us uh, into this brand new series that we have titled In Basically Honor of This New Book, Creating the Quran. Until next time, this is Al-Fadi, over and out. God bless. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al-Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for Sira International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to sirainternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. We named this series in honor of this book, Reading the Quran by Stephen Shoemaker. Today, we're going to address the issue of fear. In other words, why is there fear uh, by scholars, I should say, um, in terms of confronting the standard Islamic narrative. Dr. J, welcome back as always. And I think you and I alluded to this fear in the past. Why do you think there's this fear of confronting the standard Islamic narrative, even from an academic, benign academic approach? Well, uh, there, there are many reasons for it. Uh, I think if we're going to get into that. I think we'll be, we need to uh, first start with what Shoemaker is saying. Again, we want to make sure that we keep on tack with Shoemaker. And Shoemaker quotes this, and he brings this up as a real problem. He says this on page two of his book. Modern scholarship on the Quran, with some notable exceptions, has been largely governed by traditional Islamic views on the Quran. Traditional are what we know the standard Islamic exactly. narrative. That's the Hadith, that's the Tafsir, that's the Tahrik, and the Sirah, those four genre. Uh, that it has been geared and pushed and formulated by al-Buhari and others. That's what all modern scholarship has just used that verbatim. They've never questioned it. He goes on and says, the historical critical study of its texts remain under the powerful influence of the Islamic tradition's gravitational pull at times without even fully realizing it. So what he's saying is, listen, many of the scholars don't even know they're doing it. They don't even understand. They have no idea that they're not applying what was done to the Bible and other books, but mainly the Bible, those same categories, the same criticisms, textual criticism and, and, and others, that which is applied has been since the 1800s, since the German school in Tübingen started doing it, Wellhausen and others, which was, which was needed at that time. That has not been done today. That's all he's saying. Now, what his solution is, and he goes, and let me just quote again on that same page. He says, we must not study the origins of the Quran according to the convictions of the later Islamic tradition. And I like later. 
Okay, he puts that in there purposely because yeah. you saw the timeline from the last episode. It is two to three hundred years later. Right. And he says, but instead, we must use the standard tools of historical criticism that scholars have long applied to the study of other sacred scripture writings. Now, like the, really, Bible. the only other one has been the Bible. Really, there's been nothing done on the Upanishads or the Vedas or the uh, uh, Bhagavad Gita. There's nothing, but the Book of Mormon, uh, all these other scriptures, no one has had this test done to it except the Bible. He, I don't know why he didn't say the Bible there. He's saying other writers, because there may be some minor studies that have been done on yeah. them. So that's why he's saying this needs to be done to the Quran. Yeah, and, and, and if you remember, Jay, at some point he would say it's almost like any, Islam, uh, I should say, in, in any uh, religious studies program, you, you find like two tracks, one focus on Islamic studies and one focus on everything else. It's almost like instead of doing the same thing, there is always this bias or this fear, and you do something different when it comes to Islam versus other religions. And what has happened is, unlike any other area of study, you start any, any scientific area, any study of humanities, any study on even religious texts. There's never been there has never been a kickback by anybody from within that tradition against what they're saying. In fact, most people say, if you find something new, for heaven's sakes, publish it, and they get peer-reviewed. And when you get peer-reviewed, it's actually great critical, it's a great critical exercise. That's why you want to be peer-reviewed, because you want to make sure that what you're saying can stand up to criticism. And nobody has bothered that, except when it comes to Islam. When it comes to Islam, no one, no one wants to be peer-reviewed. Why? Well, here's the problem. Let's just go and see what he quotes. This is on uh, page Two and three. Many contemporary Muslims object to non-Muslims taking their sacred text and subjecting it to independent critical analysis based in another intellectual tradition that is markedly different from their own faith perspective. Already, can you see a problem there? Yep. So it's the Muslims who have object, objected to anybody applying a critical analysis on it. And when they object, suddenly people re, uh, re, uh, re, recoil. Why do they recoil? Well, it's why? Standard, he continues you know? on. It yeah. strikes the Muslims as offensive, perhaps understandably, that an outsider would come along and tell them what their sacred text really is and how it should be understood. No one is saying what it should how it should be understood. No one's doing that with a critical. See, even that statement is is erroneous. Muslims don't understand. We're not telling them what, how they're to believe or how they're to act or how they're to practice the religion. No one's saying that. All we're asking is, is it true? Asking critical questions. Uh, don't Muslims ask critical questions of the Bible all the time? Okay. Why is that acceptable? Absolutely. See, we don't give death threats. And interestingly, Shoemaker doesn't say that. That even, he can't even say that. And I said, well, Shoemaker, say exactly what you mean. Look at the Taslima Nasrins of the world, or the or the Salman Rushdies of the world, or the uh, 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 Taha Hussein. Look what's happened to these guys from within the Islamic tradition. They're Muslims themselves. Look and see what they, has happened to them when they've been critical of the Quran. They've lost their lives, or they've been attempted. Look at Salman Rushdie a few weeks ago. He almost got killed for some uh, a book that he wrote in 1988. This is 2022, and he almost got killed a few weeks ago. This is the problem that all uh, all academics have. They don't want to end up like Salman Rushdie. They don't want to end up like Taha Hussein or Taslima Nasreen. I mean, the word or Ghanouchi. I mean, there's so many names you could add to that, or any of us. Who, you and me, in fact, look at the death threats we get. 
just by asking simple historical questions of Muhammad and the Quran and Mecca. Look at all the death threats. Look at the comments we get on our our, our, our uh, YouTube channels. No one wa- in academia wants that kind of grief or that kind of hassle, especially when you realize that my, much of your funding comes from the very uh, the very people that you're criticizing. Because much of the funding for a lot of our institutions here in the West, including the United States and in Europe, it comes from uh, petrodollars coming from the Middle East. For and, the Islamic studies centers and uh, programs, is that what you're Exactly, that's what yeah. I meant. Yeah. The Islamic studies, the, uh, the uh, Middle Eastern studies are almost all funded by Middle Easterns by Middle Eastern countries. So you cannot, interestingly, this is the only area of study, and we've said this many times, where what you find you cannot say publicly for fear of what will happen to your your research, what will happen to your salary, and what would happen to your life. You could be vilified uh, as well, and you could lose your job. So, um, I mean, sadly... Uh, that's what happens. So what happens? Well, this is he. Uh, um, Shoemaker then continues, and he says, uh, uh, and he quotes actually uh, Lincoln in 2007 about censorship. Who, about censorship. And Bruce Lincoln says this. He says, with the possible exceptions of economics, our religious studies in Islam is the only academic field that is effectively organized to protect its putative object of study against critical examination. Well, that's 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 it right there. It is the only place I know any of any other study where you cannot say what you find or you cannot you cannot publicly publish what you have researched. That's right. Well, I mean, I hope everyone is noticing how uh, interesting uh, this uh, video series is going to be and also how interesting many of these quotations that we are reading for you from this book. So what do you think we are going to uh, address or what are we going to focus on moving forward from here? Well, moving forward, I want to know where this all, where this, this self-censorship came from. Where did this idea that we can't critically analyze, we can't use critical historical material on the Quran or, the, or on Muhammad or on the, uh, the place itself? Now, it's obviously that there must, there, this must have started from somewhere or someone. Shoemaker answers that question. He's going to go and he's actually going to put his finger on who that someone is. It actually started with one man uh, in the last century. But I'm not going to say who it is yet. You're going to have to see the episode because I agree with him. I, when I did my doctoral thesis, this came out. I did a, a whole half a chapter on this guy and others who said the main thing. But it was this one man that actually was the impetus that created this environment which in some ways came out of necessity because of the reality that exists on the ground. Mm-hmm. And, but yet when he was talking, this reality didn't exist. Radical Islam hadn't really shown its face. We don't didn't have the Al-Qaeda's or the Boko Haram's or the Al-Shabaab's. We didn't have ISIS back then in the last century. So it's fascinating that he came up, we're, I'm kind of getting ahead of the ball, but I want to show you this is something that's not recent. This is something that didn't just come by happenstance, and it didn't come by the situation, the reality that's happening that we have today, which is much more critical, which is much more dangerous. It happened in a time when there was an environment, a very benign environment, which is absolutely surprising. However, we do need to unpack it. We do need to go to this individual. We do need to see what he said, and we need to say how is it and why is it that that became such a hugely important uh, ethos of what then 
ha- we're seeing re- all, re- represented right across the boards, not only in the United States, but in Europe, in fact, in almost all of our Western academic institutions. Amen. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Hopefully, you will watch a continuation of this video series and you will enjoy the many uh, quotations on arguments and even uh, our own opinions in relationship to many of the contents that we will be addressing. Uh, with me here in studio, of course, to unpack all of that, not just today, but uh, continuing on with this series is our dear brother, Dr. J. Smith. Until next time, have a blessed day. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.